Welcome to another episode of the People Over Perks podcast by Leapsum. In each episode, we speak with a people operations leader about how they're building a high-performance culture in their company. In today's episode, we speak with Matt Bradburn, the co-founder of the People Collective. We talk to Matt about the concept of people debt, career progression frameworks, salary benchmarking, and a lot more. Enjoy this conversation. So, Matt, thanks for joining us this morning on the People Over Perks podcast. You are the uh, the co-founder of the People Collective. Let's kick off with uh, what is the People Collective? So thanks for having me, Andy. Uh, the People Collective uh, is a small consultancy. Uh, we work with startups and scale-ups uh, to help them really put in the foundations uh, to, to help the businesses scale, both in terms of their people, uh, in terms of recruitment, uh, and in terms of kind of broader people operations um, to, 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 to help them become more uh, effective uh, and help them reach their, their own growth plans and uh, growth trajectories. Interesting. Cool. And so um. Perhaps you could walk us through the, um, the, the, your career journey in terms of uh, what led you to start the people experience. What were some of the things that you experienced when you were working in-house that made you realize there was a, uh, a need to be solved with, uh, with a consultancy? Yeah, so, um, you know, I started uh, very much in the kind of classic scenario, classic millennial scenario, right? Uh, graduated in the middle of a financial crisis. Uh, terrible idea. Um, wanted to move into marketing. Ended up in recruitment. Um, so started my career as a as a recruitment consultant uh, and got to work with so many little kind of tiny fascinating businesses at the time. Companies like Acado, companies like Autonomy, um, uh, companies uh, who, who went on to to obviously uh, become great, uh, well known names uh, in terms of tech. Um, and I was really amazed by the the scale and the speed at which these companies could grow. So decided to move in-house, uh, worked as an in-house recruiter for a few years, uh, but found my real passion was actually not just hiring people into these businesses, but watching their development paths, right? Uh, and actually seeing uh, the, the, the ways that these people were able to uh, expand their, their, their careers, their capabilities, the possibilities for them uh, within these businesses. Uh, but also at the same time, uh, we, we, we saw the way uh, that businesses can trip over their own feet, should we say, um, and, and come across a bunch of pitfalls uh, which uh, which kind of halted their development. Um, and most of those pitfalls weren't related to product market fit. They were related to their ability to turn a great product idea into a long-term viable business. So uh, my last job before I started the People Collective was, a, was as VP of People at Pecon, uh, which is an employee engagement software company, um, which is very meta, right? <laughs> this idea that uh, you might think about uh, how employee engagement is employed within an employee engagement business. Uh, but even there, uh, you know, there were certainly challenges within the, uh, w- w- within the business um, which had to be solved. Uh, and, and I wanted the opportunity to solve these across uh, not just one business at a time, uh, but be able to work with companies, uh, you know, a, a broad range of companies uh, and solve a broad range of problems and have much more kind of impact on the wider world of, uh, of startups and scale up. So that's kind of, uh, you know, how the career journey influenced what we what we set out to build. Cool. Thanks for sharing that. And um, and so then very tangibly, what are some of the projects that you work on with uh, with your clients now with the People Collective? Yeah, it's, it was very, uh, you know, it's fascinating. When we started the company, I was 99% sure that we were going to spend a lot of time on recruitment process, on onboarding process, um, maybe a little bit of like performance development here and there. Um, turns out that wasn't the case. We were completely wrong. 
Um, couldn't have been further off, right? Um, so actually, the, the the majority of our time is spent on projects focused on areas like uh, leveling and progression. So thinking about clear progression pathways for people within organizations. Compensation and reward. So looking at broader compensation philosophies uh, and helping startups really plan for, for, for their own futures. Uh, manager development. So, you know, the majority of companies promote their best ICs to become managers. Uh, this is not the best way to go about it. Uh, so helping put in the support uh, to, to give people the confidence and capability to improve. And then, uh, you know, uh, talking to obviously the team at Leapsome, uh, performance development, right? You know, how does this all come together um, to, 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 to kind of help people uh, develop and continuously grow within the business, which obviously then helps the businesses grow themselves. Super interesting. And there's a, there's a lot to unpack there that we'll, uh, we'll, oh, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll dive into. Um, but before we do that, um, perhaps you could explain this concept of people debt. What, what does that mean uh, and how does it kind of manifest itself in, in the business? Yeah, I mean, for, for, for kind of for better or worse, like, you know, we all have an experience with debt, whether it's a mortgage, a business loan or, you know, the kind of maxed out credit cards that you cut up and hide in the freezer. Um, uh, you know, no, no judgments from me there. Um, but debt uh, is kind of what you borrow from the future for today. Um, and personal and business finances aren't the only places we see this occurring. So engineering teams have adopted this term technical debt to, to describe the kind of compromises that you accept for temporary increase in velocity. Um, and there's a decrease in long term velocity as these companies, uh, as these compromises become bumps uh, you have to work around in the future. Um, so in, in tech as in finance, we kind of accrue this debt as a shortcut to the end result. And the same applies to HR. Right. So in startups, it's, it's not unusual to take an easy um, you know, what my uh, what my co-founder terms kind of quick and dirty approach uh, to expedite the, the the delivery of what they see as a, what they think will be a great culture. Right. So we've seen this in the past with like, I don't know, ping pong tables or dogs in the offices um, or like, you know, uh, let's put in a share option scheme or yay, unlimited holiday. Um, but, you know, despite uh, whatever impact these uh, these small perks might have on employee morale. Uh, they do very little in terms of furthering uh, the business. Um, uh, uh, and actually, uh, there are some kind of really fundamental aspects of, uh, uh, of building an organization which needs to be uh, put in place. So when we think about HR debt, um, it, it, it's really uh, kind of borrowing and compromising on your long-term future to, to, to solve in the short term because you're running around chasing your tail doing a million things. Um, uh, but actually, uh, what, you, what we try and do and help companies work through is like, like how can you plan for, 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 for the longer term, right? Um, how can we actually uh, put in the foundations uh, to, 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 to help the organization scale and grow? Uh, because it's not just a, a debt that's for the HR team to pay. The whole business will be left feeling the effects of a, a, a fairly hefty bill, right? Um, and, and there's a quote from a chap called Steve Blank who, who turned it kind of organizational debt, uh, which is just when things should be going great, HR debt can turn a growing company into a chaotic nightmare, uh, which sums it up perfectly. Yeah, it does. It sure does. And, um, and so in your experience, is this something that like is almost inevitable that companies go through or is it avoidable um, given, uh, yeah. given the right setup and structures? It's, it's one of those things that's like, 
it's avoidable if you target it early enough, right? You know, the way it manifests itself is really through like poor communication practices, like uh, a lack of expectations, no clarity on goals, uh, <clears throat> no clarity on how to progress in the business, uh, and no understanding of like what you're being assessed against in a performance review, uh, no clear uh, structures for recruitment or hiring, like everyone asking the same question, interview to interview to interview. Um, and uh, and all of these things are quite uh, quite structured and formulaic, right? Like we, we've identified a lot of the key areas where they manifest. Mm -hmm. So it's all about uh, really uh, broaching these early enough so that you're able to, 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 to solve for the longer term as opposed to leaving them uh, and seeing what happens. We, we term it as like kind of uh, growing an organization by design as opposed to default. Uh, when it's left to grow by default, that's when it gets really problematic. When you grow the organization by design and you put time thinking about like, uh, think about uh, people operations as a product as uh, Jess Hayes, one of your, your former guests talks about quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, when you put that kind of product mentality in it, you think, what am I building? Who is the user? How are they going to use it? Uh, what's the kind of fundamental commercial need for the business for, for this to be in place? Uh, then it can really help you. So as long as you tackle it early, like when you're kind of somewhere between 10 and 50 people, you can put yourself in a good spot. Uh, but I would say at the same time that it's pretty much inevitable, right? Yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. And so um, so we, we now have a clear picture as to what the problems are. <laughs> um, yep. Now let's uh, let, let's dive into some of those uh, some of those solutions then and the, uh, the, the ways that uh, businesses can solve this. Um, perhaps we should start with career progression frameworks <laughs> as, uh, as a starting point. Um, tell us about how a business should uh, should approach that if they're, they're doing this for the first time. Yeah, I think it's a it, it, it's a really it's a really interesting area of people operations, right? One that um, has always gone, it's almost gone through like several waves. Like we often, when you think of like career progression and leveling, <clears throat> like the first thing that comes to my mind is like massive bank, right? Or large consultancy. And you're like, okay, cool. I start off as an associate. I become a, you know, a principal. Uh, then I move to a, a VP or an EVP or a GM, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, then I'm going to have this massive ream of like specific skills that I need to fulfill at every single level. And it becomes like a really big checkbox exercise. Mm -hmm. uh, and that causes a lot of frustration in itself, right? So it can, um, it can definitely uh, bring problems when it's uh, kind of not put together well uh, but the way that we we, we we tend to kind of see this new wave of career progression coming through is like how can we set uh, like stage appropriate expectations for people in the business right um, what do we expect of people uh, across the organization um, in, a, in a broader set of competencies so things like how you communicate or how you work together as a team uh, but then give some 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 examples uh, of what that means by level as opposed to kind of going into this ream of skills so you move it from being this like horrendous checkbox exercise where you're like this person must fulfill every skill before they get a promotion uh, to, 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 to um, this point where it's like a founding, founding document um, uh, and it forms the foundations for having great conversations between managers and their teams. And that's what people are craving, right? Mm -hmm. Is they're not getting really tangible, useful feedback from their managers. Like that's the problematic piece. Um, so when we're thinking about, uh, you know, what career progression looks like, um, it's, uh, it, it's really all about creating space for great conversations to happen uh, and, and giving people an opportunity to, to, to close a perception gap, which is probably an area worth, uh, worth thinking about. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then um, obviously the uh, salary benchmarking 
must fit into all this somewhere. How how does that tie in? Yeah, it's an it, it, it's uh, it's an interesting one. That one, right? Like, there's so many ways to, to 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 kind of build your your broader compensation plans and like approach and philosophy, right? You know, you're seeing this even more with everyone being remotely right now. Uh, do we tie this to a city? Do we tie this to levels? Do we tie this to skills? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are we like uh, like what kind of rate do we want to pay within a certain market? Do we want to pay like some teams the 50th percentile and some teams the 90th percentile? Because we know that I don't know, like machine learning engineers in Berlin are really hard to come by. Um, but uh, I don't know, like customer success people in London, a little bit easier to find. Uh, therefore, we, you know, uh, we we can pay a little bit lower than market, um, uh, uh, you know, or um, uh, kind of against average. So when we, you know, when you're working through these problems, it, it, it can be really helpful to think about, like, uh, not just the benchmarks themselves, uh, but how you're actually going to apply this and what this means for your teams. Um, and I think that's the big thing, right? It's like, what's going to be the right approach for us as a business? Like what kind of, what, uh, what aspects uh, and values do we have uh, that could influence this in the first place? Uh, and how should that play out and align with the production framework? So it might be like, you know, we have certain bandings for certain levels. Uh, it might be like we completely decouple it, also fine. Um, it might be like, you know, we stick to, uh, stick to our kind of core market rates. Um, or it could be, you know, I've seen some companies go like, yeah, we want to have a fixed rate uh, and there is one salary, the calculator spits it out. Um, and that's what we're going to pay. Um, which actually we employed at Pecon, uh, and I was amazed very few people uh, were unhappy with the, with the number uh, and walked away from a role at Pecon uh, just because of a singular number, uh, which was great to see. So it shows kind of, you know, uh, compensation plays a role in why people choose a company, but it's not the be all and end all for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are obviously uh, many other components that uh, come into consideration there, aren't there? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And so, um, and so then we, we've got the uh, the career progression framework, and obviously then the uh, the um, you know the, the compensation framework as well. But then you touched on the fact that obviously ultimately what people need is great feedback from their managers. And yeah. and so how how do you build those processes in order to um, create an environment where there is great great professional development? Yeah. So it's it, it's it's such like a, 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 a it's a topic I'm super passionate about at the moment. Right. I think. You know, you must have seen this uh, at Leapsome, uh, you know, watching people move from like this annual performance review, uh, this position where you're like, cool, uh, let's bring in like all the recency bias in the world into this piece of feedback. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, Andy, can you tell me what you ate last Friday for lunch? Uh, no chance. <laughs> exactly right. Like, if you can't tell me what you had for lunch last Friday, how on earth are you going to know what your what that person on your team was doing really well last January? Um, and managers are notoriously bad at keeping track of these things, kind of like in the interim, right? So you've got you've got obviously a few emerging models like this idea of continual performance, um, um, which. Like, you know, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with because I don't think it it kind of means everything and nothing all in one, like as a term. Um, uh, And, uh, you know, it it, it can mean to some people like, yeah, I'm going to give really useful, tangible, regular feedback. Uh, To others, it can be like, um, I don't know what this means for me and I feel uncomfortable giving regular feedback. So I'm just going to kind of revert uh, and, and ignore it and not do anything with it, right? So uh, it depends on the kind of capabilities of the managers and the team. Um, and I think when you're, you know, when you, what you're, what we're seeing at the moment uh, as like a really like solid foundational process is like once you've got 
the career progression framework in place, that sets the expectations, right? Uh, and that's the key that's often missing. So um, we talk about this idea of a uh, like a perception gap that often exists. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm employee X, and I think I'm this good, like I'm doing like pretty well. Uh, I'm manager of employee X, and I think they're doing this good. Mm-hmm. And this is the bit that they don't talk about, right? Like yeah. they, no one wants to discuss that. But it's really uncomfortable. And managers hate having uncomfortable conversations. We've we've interviewed over 1,200 managers over the last two years. Uh, and uh, the single biggest challenge that they always cite uh, as the area they want to improve at and the area they recognize as being an issue for them uh, is broaching what they term as difficult conversations. Mm-hmm. And most of those align to compensation and performance, right? So if you've got the career progression as a, 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 as a kind of founding document, it makes it much easier to talk about those expectations, to have open and candid feedback. Uh, but the, 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 the really big thing is like, you've got to train the managers to be able to do this really well. Like, uh, I, I don't know if this is something that, that, that leaps and notice as well is like, you know, uh, the, the, the quality of feedback uh, it, it, it is pretty much always aligned to the quality of the manager who's able to, to, to give it and their, their ability to, to have confidence to give it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so obviously, uh, yeah, you, you touched on um, the importance of the individual manager there. Um, but what, what really is the, the role and responsibility of the people operations team in order to help facilitate that, develop the managers? Like how, how does that sort of balance play out? Yeah, so I think when you've got, it, 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 it's like a hub and spoke model, right? Like you want, you want enough uh, kind of centralization that there is a clear process that everyone understands what the clear process is, that there's like organizational consistency. So, you know, we're consistent on what great feedback looks like. Uh, We're consistent on what the expectations are. We're consistent around like our approach to pay rises, things like that. But then like, that's when you want to start bringing like the manager's personality into it, right? Is when it comes to uh, not just what great feedback looks like, but, but how you play each person on the team. Like we, you know, we often talk with managers uh, around this idea of like chess versus checkers. So an average manager is playing a game of checkers, right? They're not thinking strategically about the longer term for the for the organization. They're thinking much more like uh, transactionally, uh, mm. and they're playing each character as if they were the same. But the best managers, they understand those individual motivations uh, and strengths of of each person on their team. They're playing a game of chess, right? Uh, And they can strategically build and develop their team uh, by focusing on those strengths, like coaching those strengths, uh, giving really good feedback around how to continuously develop those, as well as kind of weaknesses as well. Uh, But they focus much more on building a team to counter weaknesses, uh, as opposed to trying to force everyone to do exactly the same job. Uh, again, you know, I don't want to call on Jess uh, too much, but she she picked this up really well, right? Like when building a people ops team, it's not about building a kind of set of Russian dolls who all fit on top of each other. It's about like, right, cool. We need some people who can do a bit of engineering. Uh, we've got this skill here uh, that could make them super good at, at like learning some data analysis. So, um, you know, I think the, the the role of the manager is really like understanding their team strengths uh, and then being able to help uh, help with the feedback around that. Yeah, uh, that absolutely makes sense. And, and so um, what does great manager development look like then? And is that really the, the people operations team's responsibility to make sure that there are, um, you know, good, good components and processes in place for training the managers? 
You know, I, I think, I, I wouldn't say this is the responsibility of the people operations team. I'd say this response, this is like CEO level responsibility, right? Like, uh, you know, you'll often see these kind of Twitter threads about like, what should a CEO focus on? Uh, you know, like they must be great at hiring. They must be great at fundraising. Um, but 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 I often see uh, either CEO or COO, depending on size of the business, like also has to be great at building, uh, you know, a, 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 a team who can develop those beneath them continuously, right? Like that team's constantly got to be thinking in terms of, uh, you know, how do I give away my Legos? Uh, how can I constantly, uh, you know, look to, to improve the way that I set expectations to delegate to people, right? So it's not really like, uh, you know, the responsibility of an HR team to make sure that's in place. Yeah, they might facilitate it, uh, but it's, it, it's the responsibility of the founders uh, and the leadership team to make sure that other managers and leaders who are coming into the business have all the tools they need to be successful. Uh, and that's what we see as like, a, you know, such a common issue is they're like, yeah, you were so amazing uh, at this job. Uh, please take a, take this role as manager um, or, you know, even worse, like they've designed the organization where the only route to progress is to become a manager, right? Which is mm -hmm. so common. Like this is how companies have been structuring things since, you know, the 1920s. Um, so you've got to be a people manager. But actually, if you design your organization with like dual tracks, let people be great ICs or let people be great managers, mm -hmm. then I think you'll, you know, you can remove that singular bar to development. Uh, and at the same time, uh, you can start to remove this idea that mid middle managers are, are completely useless and a waste of time, right? Uh, I think we've simply been promoting the, the worst people or the people who aren't necessarily best suited to management roles. Uh, and therefore, uh, if you can think about like, how does org design fit with uh, manager development, then you can put yourself in a really good spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'd love to shift gears and talk about employee engagement. Yeah, go um, for it. So um, what, what's, your, what's your opinion on how, uh, how a business should be measuring employee engagement? Um, you know, uh, how should they be structuring their engagement surveys if, uh, if, they, if they should be doing those sorts of processes? Um, and yeah, what's your view on how a business can really uh, you know, be, be capturing feedback from the employees in order to, uh, to, to make improvements? Yeah, it's a, it, it, it's a really good question, right? And like, obviously, engagement has been one of those things that's like a bit of a buzzword over the last, uh, you know, last, say, let's five to 10 years, right? Um, uh, and it's definitely got its place, but it's a really interesting one. Like, uh, I obviously, having worked for an employee engagement business, have seen some pros and, and, and some cons to it. There are a lot of pros, like actually, you know, soliciting feedback from your team listening to it and really importantly like acting on it like it's no point just having a dashboard like you really got to help managers like act upon it make changes in the business like that's the big you know the reason it should exist um but you know gift and a curse it can become a place uh where people become a little bit entitled should we say from time to time uh maybe start moaning uh you know uh there aren't enough avocados in the fridge that is a genuine response i've seen before um or my personal favorite um, when someone was complaining to me because uh, we had Spotify set up in the office uh, and they were complaining to me that the recommendations on Spotify, because it was their account linked to the Sonos system, uh, that their recommendations were being messed up uh, and this was incredibly unfair and that it was very important that we needed to buy a company Spotify account immediately. I was like, <laughs> like, come on, come on, people. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's a gift and a curse, right? Like when it's done really well and when you're structuring good questions, like understanding what's people's workload looking like, having useful check-ins uh, to, to understand, like, you know, how can I, uh, you know, further help you as a manager, like guide and support and develop you. Um, uh, and looking at like the broader themes and how they turns into, uh, turn into actions, uh, it's really good. Uh, but a couple of areas it's, it, it, it can become troublesome is like, um, you know, like using it as a replacement for having great managers uh, and having those managers have conversations uh, or when you just get a situation where there's a whole bunch of entitlement, which isn't so fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, there's a, potentially a gap there, isn't there, is in terms of what's important for the business and what's uh, what's important to the employee in some cases. Uh, always right. And, you know, that 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 kind of gap or like, uh, you know, clash point is like something that we see so much in, in, in our work, right? Um, it, it, you know, you've got you to really finely balance, like, what are the commercial needs of the business? What are the people needs of the business? Um, and how can we make sure that we craft and build people processes that support commercial outcomes? Um, whilst also bearing in mind that we want to build a place that people have the opportunity to be really successful um, uh, and one where we're kind of honest and true to what we what we say we're going to be um, as mm-hmm. per uh, brew dogs issue last week uh, when they were said that they're the nicest company in the world and they're saving the world and their employees said uh, it's a horrendous uh, hellhole of a business to work for yeah, that uh, that letter went quite viral, didn't it? Oh, uh, it did indeed, right? <laughs> it's uh, it kind of been a fun week to be the uh, Brewdog CEO, but then you know, if you stick yourself on a pedestal and you say these things, uh, then you're uh, you know you're setting yourself up, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that um, that letter was uh, was circulated in our in our Slack community, and uh, we'll, we'll make sure that we link to it in the show notes as well for the people who uh, who haven't yet nice. seen it because uh, it does make an interesting read. Um, <laughs> yeah. And um and and you you of course said uh said about how you know you need to turn this feedback into action at the end of the day, um yeah. and uh you know do you have a, a sort of you know tangible playbook as such for distilling this feedback and actually, um you know turning it into something that, um you know creates results and then that the employees can see that you are you are taking action rather than just uh, um you know collecting the feedback and leaving it on a shelf. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's an interesting one, that. And, it, and again, like a super fine balance between saying you're going to take action and then just actually just doing the darn thing, right? So, uh, you know, ways, uh, ways that we've helped a few companies with this is like splitting, like starting to split out like some of the themes that you're seeing um, uh, and then either assigning like small working groups. Say if you've got like a thematic issue around, um, you know, like, uh, like goal setting within the business. Like people, I don't know, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, how the vision of the company connects to what I'm supposed to be doing on a day-to-day basis, let's say. So then like one, you like put together like a small working group, not like an executive level thing where you discuss it at the leadership team meeting week in, week out, like massive waste of time. Um, but like a small working group to like analyze the feedback, uh, start to put together plans that they can bring those goals to life uh, and then act on it super quickly uh, and be like, right, we've listened to your feedback. Uh, these are the plans that we've made. Uh, this is uh, these are the changes that we're going to to implement. If these changes work, great. But let us know if they're not working for you, uh, and if we need to do more. Uh, and we'll continue to work on this. So that's like one way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way is obviously on the individual basis. So like specific targeting, you might see one manager who's like, you know, their entire team is like, help, I'm drowning. Um, this is horrendous. Uh, whereby you're kind of speaking to them very directly, and be like, look. You know, it, it, we're getting super clear feedback here uh, that uh, that your team are, are drowning in workload. Do you have enough people on your team? 
Are you giving them a, enough space? Are you encouraging them to actually take breaks and not just encouraging them, but like making space for them to take some breaks? We're seeing this one a lot with like remote burnout is a lot of managers will say, yeah, take next Monday off. And the employee's like, I don't need next Monday off because then I've got to do five days work in four days. Uh, instead, you know, a great manager will be like, I'm taking, you know, I'm going to work with you. I've got, I can see you've got these three key priority things which need to come up. I'm delegating that one to so-and-so. I'm delegating this one to so-and-so. Uh, and I'm going to make sure that you have space, that you can take a break properly and you don't have to think about or worry about this stuff, right? So mm -hmm. there's the individual basis. Uh, and then it's like the longer term ones, right? So which of these actually feed into like, you know, deep rooted company issues and are much more like kind of symptomatic, uh, at which point you're like, right, as CEO, I need to look at these uh, and this is where we kind of push it to the founder and you're like these are things that you need to, to better embed within the organization to like help the culture thrive yeah that's that's so many many good points in there and um and then to, to add to that have you um have you seen any uh communication formats that work particularly well for then communicating this back into the organization um obviously you know some some that come to mind you know, um, sort of uh, all, all company email, email chains, all hands meetings, yep. these sorts of things. Have you seen uh, seen any that work particularly well or, or others that you would uh, potentially avoid? Uh, I mean, you know, the, the, do you know the, main, the only one to avoid? Slack messages, right? Like it's like it, it, it's like a freaking Bloomberg feed, right? Like you're, you're going to you're going to lose sight of that in seconds. Um, and, and like it's kind of it's lack of permanence. Uh, kind of bleeds into your your you know how your employees will then take that on board or think about it right so you know if it's something that's like a permanent major kind of business decision shift uh, like be super clear uh, with uh, with the team about that so it, it would probably need reiterating not just in the email but also at an all hands um, or if it's like a big change like do an AMA in the all hands like get the founder up there you know we're talking about the founder making structural changes you're like have the founder there get people to ask them questions in advance uh, and, and be, be able to come and be vulnerable about you know what you're doing what you're working on uh, and what these changes will mean like in practice uh, and why you believe they're important right like show that you actually care um, that's, uh, I think that's an important one. Uh, but don't get me started on all hands. Uh, we'll, we'll be here for like another hour if I, if I start talking about how all hands meetings are run. Yeah, I can imagine that's a, that's a big topic. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, generally terribly right. But, uh, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, um, and so I, I would love to, um, to pick your brain a little bit in terms of how you have thought about your own career development along the way. Um, you know, having progressed to, to VP of people, um, have you kind of come up with any, any frameworks or thought, thought processes for yourself in terms of developing in the world of people ops? Yeah, it, it kind of like always changes and shifts. So there's there's like three areas that I like to bear in mind. Uh, and this kind of helps me like change and adapt because my role has completely changed and adapted, right? Like over the years. I started off obviously in recruitment. Uh, I was doing a combination of like screening calls and sales calls. Like that's pretty much it. Um, I moved into internal recruitment where it's much more about like stakeholder management, process-driven aspects, uh, and uh, still the screening calls. But then you're moving into people operations, you're like, what are the commercial needs? Um, how can we build like a people-centric organization? And now I you know, run a consultancy. So I'm like, right, I'm, I'm kind of founder of this. So I've got to like, you know, uh, work on uh, like everything um, and, and start to hand off bits where possible. So uh, there's three, it, it, it's like a kind of like a, a diagram with three circles kind of acting as a Venn is like, uh, what does the company need? What do I love doing? And what am I great at? Uh, 
And you've got to balance like these three areas constantly. So, you know, if I take screening calls, I, 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 I just detest screening calls at this point. Like I worked out, I'd probably done somewhere between 10 and 12,000 phone screens in my life. Like if I look at my entire recruitment career, I, I never want to do a phone screen again, right? I'm probably quite good at it, but it's not like, it's not a big thing for me, but sometimes it's useful for the company. So it's like, right, I don't want to spend all of my time doing this, but I know it's useful for the company. There are other areas, you know, when I look at my development, I'm like, okay, cool. Actually, you know, I've probably over the last few years, I had to get better at sales and I kind of tested and learned my, my approach there. And actually, I really enjoy that now. So, uh, uh, you know, to make this useful for the business, I should spend more time on that because my enjoyment around, you know, like certain aspects of process, really bad with process uh, and delivery, uh, you know, my co-founder Al is much better. So maybe he should be spending time on that and I'll spend more time on sales or like giving uh, workshops or training managers because mm -hmm. that's where I can add more value. So I kind of see it in those three areas and then, and then balance it over time. Interesting. Yeah. Thanks. So thanks for sharing those tips. And, um, and as a final topic uh, to, uh, to wrap up, um, and obviously I know it's a, it's a big one and obviously lots of companies are now navigating through this change. But perhaps you could talk a little bit about what you're seeing with your with your clients in broadly in the industry as to how companies are uh, tackling the remote versus in-person challenge following the pandem mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, and you know, I some mean, of the, like, where, where are you wanting to start, right? Well, yeah, I mean, perhaps, um, you know, you could talk a bit about some of the trends in terms of where, where you're seeing your, how you're seeing your, uh, your customers tackle this. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, if there are any um, sort of tips in terms of things that really need to be considered or, uh, you know, big, uh, big red flags that also need to be, uh, be, uh, be, be taken into account. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it's like, I, I, I think firstly, I'll keep it broad at the beginning. Like, I don't think anyone has the answer. And I think, you know, I've seen a, 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 a few interviews with uh, the chap from GitLab, can't remember his name off the top of my head. Uh, I think it's Ryan Murphy. I want to see, I'm going to go with Ryan Murphy uh, or Darren Murphy, one of those. Um, but even he admits like, he's like, we don't have this worked out right. Like we're a distributed first business. And I think companies are struggling at the highest level um, because they, they, they don't have the answers and no one has the answers. They're secondarily struggling because, you know, there are two issues at play. One is how do we work well in a distributed sense and how do we work well in a distributed sense in a pandemic? Uh, and then in the third piece is like, what comes next? Uh, and that's the really hard piece is like, are we going to remain fully remote? Do we have an office? Do we have some offices? How, what, what's the function of those offices going to be? Um, or do we want to bring everyone back together? And I think, you know, if I'm, if I'm, if I'm thinking about kind of one piece and one challenge that I can clearly see that I think everyone's like blindly walking into is that hybrid work is going to be the hardest one to implement. But it's clear from all the surveys out there that it is absolutely the most popular choice, which is a really interesting piece, right? And I think a lot of companies are underweighting just how hard it's going to be to make a hybrid situation work from uh, from a learning perspective, from a management perspective, from a just configuration of your office perspective, from a development perspective, from a compensation perspective, from a, you know a communication perspective, all of these areas need thinking about when it when it comes to that. Whereas at least if you are like fully distributed, you've kind of got to go like async first. Uh, you know, you run all your meetings separately, uh, and that's fine. Like there's a clear practice way of doing things. And actually, if you're co-located, again, like 
it might not be perfect, but there's a pretty clear playbook for, uh, for, for, for making it work quite well for your teams. Um, but I think the hybrid model is going to be the, 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 the really hard one. And, you know, the companies I see kind of thinking about this well, um, uh, I try to think of it. I can't think of any companies that are actually doing this really well off the top of my head, quite frankly. Uh, I think it's just going to be something that people figure out as they go. Uh, some things are going to work, some things are going to fail. And I think the key thing is the, 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 the planning uh, the strength of your communication skills as a leadership team, the strength of uh, your ability to work as a broader business uh, and being super intentional about everything like that will will certainly give people a, 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 a good a good starting foundation. Right. Yeah. Interesting. So I've given you no answers there. Well, I, I think, um, it, I, as you say, it's a, it's a really challenging one. It's, and it's, a, it's, very, it's very telling that, uh, you know, no examples come to mind in terms of companies that are, are navigating this well just yet. Because, uh, you know, if they were, then obviously we'd be pointing towards uh, yeah. these great examples. And clearly it's something that everybody's, uh, everybody's you know, facing right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can give you examples of like, you know, distributed. You're like, yeah, GitLab are doing this pretty darn well. Automatic doing this pretty darn well. Like they've been doing it for years. Like <coughs> uh, co-located, uh, a family member of mine works at JP Morgan uh, and, uh, you know, don't tell the government, uh, but they've basically been co-located for, for, for the last six months or at least his entire department has been. And he's like, suddenly we're just much more productive again. Uh, and I think this half in, half out, yeah, it's just gonna be uh, that. That's the really tough one because you're like, do we align with distributed? Do we align with co-located? Um, if not, there's no playbook. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and, and to wrap up with a, with a final question. Um, obviously, our you know the, the audience is all uh, all people operations professionals. Um, yeah. If you could recommend a book or two uh, to the audience, what would uh, what would your top recommendations be? And I should probably just just pick them off the shelf. I'm actually gonna I'm just gonna do that. So. And pick some off the shelf behind me um here we go number one uh it's it's backwards because you know video uh but richard thaler's misbehaving um so it's about the the making of behavioral economics so i think one of the the most fascinating things for me with uh, with working in people operation is uh, this understanding that, that that people don't do what you tell them to do just because you tell them to do it right uh, as as Thaler terms it people aren't econs right so when you when when uh, governments come up with economic policy they base it around this idea that people will kind of uh, blindly submit to the will of the economic policy uh, whereas actually and, and and this is like super obvious in a in a startup right people don't just blindly submit to to, to what they're told by leadership and we're seeing this more now than ever uh, and you've got to understand uh, and rationalize and and get to the kind of psychological aspects of uh, 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 of uh, your approach as a business uh, if you're if you're going to be super successful, right? Now we're going to keep playing this game. Uh, other ones that I found to be really good, um, I mean, like it's a it's like this one's like super obvious one. Um, Patty McCord's powerful. Some bits are good, some bits are bad. Like work out what works for your organization. Radical candor's all well and good, uh, but the radical part can often mean just being a bit of an ass to someone. Um, so, you know, be careful that you make sure it works with your values. Uh, and then actually the, the one I really want to share is uh, somewhat out of reach, uh, but I uh, should be able to just about get it. Here we go. Uh, this. Uh, now, you won't find this on many a bookshelf, um, but for those who've been through the British Army, they'll know this. So this is handed out to officers when they pass out. Um, and actually, I would say that if I'm thinking about like a book on leadership, uh, this is the, the 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 single most fascinating book I've read on leadership to date. Uh, it pulls from uh, journals, diaries, reports 
from military leaders across the years. You know, like when you think about a startup, uh, you go to work and quite fundamentally, like if you mess up, nobody dies. So like imagine a situation where actually you're responsible for the lives of, of, of other humans. You know, we'd say the lives of men because predominantly British army back in the day, it mm. has been the lives of men, right? Uh, and actually, uh, you know, to kind of ground some of you, gives a bit of grounding to it, right? You know, you're not, uh, it's not a life and death situation. Actually, there are far harder situations. Uh, and how did people deal with, uh, with, uh, with the feelings and the thoughts of men uh, within those situations uh, in these days now, uh, the feelings of everyone? Uh, and how can you uh, work to be uh, an empathetic and impactful leader uh, in a situation where no one's going to die? Super interesting. And I, I think, um, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, you shared three books there on three very different topics speaks to uh, speaks to the breadth of, uh, of people operations and uh, the, the skill sets required in order to, uh, to, uh, to, to create a great company culture at the end of the day. I'd, I'd say that's about right. Excellent. Well, Matt, this has been a fascinating conversation and, uh, and thank you so yeah, much for joining awesome. us. Oh, cheers for having me, Andy. It's been a, been a pleasure as always. Excellent. Thanks for listening to this episode of People Over Perks by Leapsum. We're available on the Leapsum YouTube channel and all major podcasting platforms so you can hit subscribe to receive each episode as it's released. We also have an email newsletter and a Slack community where you'll find great resources and discussions on how to build a high-performing, humane and diverse company culture. You can find the link in the show notes or you can head to the resources section at leapsum.com. Thanks for joining us and see you next time.